Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the gospel reading. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open and go after the one who is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. You can go ahead and have a seat. It has been my prayer this morning. I've prayed it several times with the worship team and the children's ministry leaders and had it prayed over me that that through the worship of our God that our hearts would become unified together as one under his purposes today. That our hearts would be unified as one together and come under his purposes, right? Those, that's one thing I just said, not two things. Can't have one of those without the other. And so we come to some of the favorite parables in all of the Bible and uh, some of the most preached on and, to be very frank, some of the least believed. The parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Because I know that for our hearts to come together under God on this, it's going to take a lot more than a sermon by me. I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes as I ask God to meet us. God, as we, as we talk now, as we consider Jesus, as we consider what you have for us, what you have for our hearts and minds, what you have for our lives, I'm praying, Holy Spirit of God, as we prayed earlier, we even need your help to believe and follow you. And so in this moment, our simple prayer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is help us, Lord. Help us. Amen. And so I just, I'm going to do something that's, um, these are stories and parables, but I'm going I'm to break it down into three easy thoughts, hopefully easy thoughts for us today. And Jesus is doing a few things here that, that are actually going to unify our hearts and minds together under his authority. And the first thing that he does here 
is he has to correct wrong thinking in our lives. So so it all opens up. Please do not forget this. It all opens up with this word that is often used from Pharisees and scribes toward Jesus, grumbling. It may be funny sometimes just grumbling. I never grumble. Good for you. I grumble a lot. And a lot of times as I'm complaining to God and grumbling, I am caught short when Jesus says you shouldn't do that. It's a serious correction, okay? Grumbling isn't just, it's too hot in here. That's not, that's not what this is. The Pharisees and scribes come and they, they try to correct Jesus. They come to him and say, you should not be sitting with sinners and tax collectors, the lost. And what they're really saying is you should be spending time with me. I mean, they're correcting Jesus. Now, get the picture for a minute. The first thing you got to see is in a Jewish meal, it's down here. They're probably reclining. They're having some great food. It's probably been going on for quite some time. And it's fun. Oh, you don't believe me. It's fun. I'm just going to keep saying it until you believe me. There's joy in this. This is the Jewish meals are fun. They're big deals, you know, and they're hanging out. And, and yes, Jesus is having a gospel conversation and sharing the good news, but there's joy in this. There's joy in this moment. And in bus the Pharisees and scribes into the middle of the joy to say, why are you having so much fun with sinners and tax collectors? The problem with the Pharisees and the scribes, and oftentimes with us, if we're honest, is that they have not recognized the condition of their own hearts before God. We get this in our psalm today that is usually reserved for Ash Wednesday. It's this great confession of David. He realizes the condition of his heart, his sin against God and Bathsheba and his people, really. And he comes, and in did you notice as we were praying it together today, it started to feel long. I have sinned against you. I have been wrong. If I could get out of this by offering you sacrifices, I would. But that is not what you require. What you require is a broken heart. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, their hearts were wrong. They weren't broken. They weren't contrite. They were proud. You should be spending time with us, Jesus. So Jesus has to correct this. And really in the scribes and Pharisees, complaint and grumbling is an accusation. Not only should you be, you're not only in the wrong place, but your heart is wrong, Jesus. Your heart is wrong. You're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Your heart is wrong. 
See, the Pharisees and scribes were not putting their trust in Christ. They didn't recognize their own heart problem. And so they honestly thought by keeping the law well enough, they were okay with God. So okay that they could question Jesus. Interrupt the fun. Make an accusation. And implied, I just want to say implied in Jesus' response is his answer. And it goes something like this. Of course I'm eating with tax collectors and, and sinners. Where else would I be? You, you get that? I mean, just like, where else would I be? But there's another, I want you to hear something. Anytime we read one of these, I want you to hear another thing that's going on here. Jesus is correcting their wrong thinking, but he is also inviting everybody in the conversation. Everybody in the conversation. He is inviting the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's, he's inviting the tax collectors and the sinners, and he is, in, in, he is inviting everybody who is looking on, which includes us through this writing today. To seek the lost. You hear that? Can I just say something? Jesus eats with Pharisees in the Gospels. He eats with sinners and tax collectors. He eats with a lot of people. I suspect some of those meals are more fun than others, but okay. (laughs) Yes, there is a correction of wrong thinking, but don't miss the second thing. There is an invitation that Jesus is giving to everybody to join him in seeking lost things. I just want to say welcome uh, to Bishop Carl Buffington and his wife Barbara. They are not lost things. That's not why this is going here. They are, well, maybe a little, right? So am I. Uh, Carl is Patty's brother and uh, Barbara, her sister-in-law, and I had dinner with them last night. And I was joking with Carl that anytime I quote him, I'm not going to give him any credit. But I, I say welcome now. We're honored that you're here with us, Bishop Carl. We really are. Thank you for joining us. And I told him last night I'm going to try not to mess things up too badly today. Um, how am I doing so far? No, don't answer the question. <laughs> But I'm going to quote my new friend and colleague in ministry, and so I wanted to say hello. But I read a sermon transcript of yours once where you used a little phrase that I thought was really great. You just said over and over again, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And so I'm going to use your your phrase today and give you credit. I give full credit. Don't miss it. Because Jesus says a couple of things throughout this parable. In verse 4, he says, which man of you? And in verse 8, He says, or which woman of you? Another way to just say this, some of your Bibles may translate it this way, which one of you? When when you've lost something, go and find it. Don't miss it. Sometimes we throw those away. It is Jesus actually looking at the scribes and Pharisees and inviting them into his way of life. Come on, which one of you? Wouldn't go seeking things that are lost. And this is a grand invitation to us as well. The people looking on. Which one of you wouldn't join me? And there's another group that's being invited here that might surprise you. We are not told how many of the sinners and tax collectors around the table come into a relationship with Jesus. We don't know that much. I think from his ministry we can actually kind of assume not all of them. I mean, Jesus has lots of this, and some follow and some fall away, right? But I want you to know, like, we can say, yeah, he's inviting the scribes and Pharisees. He's inviting us who are looking on. I want you to know one other thing. He's inviting the sinners and tax collectors to start looking for lost things, too. 
In other words, I just want you to hear me say something. We don't get a free pass on the seeking of lost souls. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, sinners and tax collectors, it will include also seeking things that are lost. From moment one of putting your faith in Jesus Christ and following him as Lord. From moment one. Sometimes we think like, Jesus, it's your job to find lost things. It is his job to find lost things, but it's all of our jobs to seek lost things. See see the difference? We don't save. Jesus saves. But we are invited to the seeking. All right, that's easy. Okay, the scribes and Pharisees, they were grumbling. That's easy. They need to be invited into the seeking. But I'm telling you, he's inviting another group. He's inviting those who are still deciding if they are going to follow him as Lord. That in moment one, they must be the seekers of lost things. Now you may say, Brian, that's a lot of points. So what? At the center of Jesus' good news is the responsibility of those of us who call him Lord to seek those people who are lost. From moment one. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to make a profession of faith. And then in seven years after I'm appropriately discipled, I'll start seeking lost things. No, 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 no. Roll it back. Being formed in Jesus Christ includes the seeking. From moment one. He's inviting all of us to be seekers. To sit with sinners, tax collectors. Don't miss it. The mission of the church is for those of us who have recognized the need in our own hearts and have decided to follow Jesus is to seek that which is lost. They go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. There is not a time stamp. Don't miss it. And you may say now, well, that's really hard. Maybe. But there's one other thing not to miss in the parables, and that is this. Jesus uses the word rejoice three times. Eight verses. He uses the, re- he re- uses the word rejoice three times and the word joy twice. Eight verses. Really short verses, actually. They're kind of sentences. He uses a term for joy and rejoicing five times. My encouragement to us all today is that when we decide to join Jesus, to change our hearts, and to accept the invitation to join him in seeking lost things, we are steeped in joy. You know the remedy to the grumbling from, chapter, from verse 1? The remedy for grumbling is not not grumbling. I'll just stop grumbling. All right, that's a fine place to start, y'all. That won't take you very far. And, and I got to tell you, you could go to a Christian bookstore and not get in the door without getting smacked in the face with a book about just be thankful. And I'm all for thankfulness, by the way. One of my favorite prayers, I've told you before, is the general thanksgiving, right? I love the general thanksgiving in the morning office. Beautiful thanksgiving. I, I agree. Like the, my, my grandma used to walk around the house and say, count your many blessings, name them one by one, right? Count your many blessings, see what God has done. 
I'll spare you the rest of the song because it goes high and I started too high, but you get it. I'm for it. I, I get it, okay? I'm not saying don't do that. You should do that. You should be thankful. Even that's not enough. You want to be a joyful person who can rejoice? You want to be someone who can lay down your grumbling and change your heart and follow Jesus and what he gives us to do? Become a seeker of the lost. That is where there is joy. And you may say, yeah, but Brian, there's only joy when they're found. No, not true. Not true. These phone calls that the shepherd makes to all of his friends who have been praying and seeking for his lost sheep as well. You can rejoice. I found them. And the answer on the other end is very spiritual. Woohoo! <laughs> and for the woman who lights an expensive lamp, by the way, lighting a lamp and looking for a coin is costly. This is costly. Don't miss it. Costs a lot of money, a lot of sacrifice, and the effort of sweeping and pulling for it. Do you get the picture? Days and days, maybe. And she finds it. She calls her friends who had been praying. And can you see some of them had come over and helped her move furniture, right? I found it. And they say, woohoo! It's not just the finder that rejoices. It's the seekers too. Because there is joy in seeking for the lost. I want to go a little bit further and say this. There is something else not to miss. There is great joy in having the gospel conversation around the table. Remember we started with that? I just want to say it this way. There is joy in the conversation. There is joy in the conversation. So I've had the privilege a couple of times in my life to... To, to lead somebody into a confession, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, I was the guy that was kind of there to say, well, let's pray and get in this thing, right? I've had that, occasionally I've had that opportunity. But other than once or twice in my life, I was not the guy who brought that person to that point. There were myriads of people, sometimes countless people, who had been having gospel conversations with this person throughout his life. And in the, in the times that I kind of could maybe know those people and call them and say, you're never going to guess what? John or Mary just said yes to Jesus. Guess what their response is? Woohoo! But more than that, in my life, and I think this is probably true in yours too, and although you don't get this call very often, my guess is more often I've begun a conversation with someone that somebody else has picked up and then someone else picked up a little bit further and someone else picked up a little bit further and somebody else picked up a little further and that somebody else said, let me, yeah, you want to you wanna join Jesus? Let me show you how that works. Right? And I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't there at the moment of the, of the great find, you know? But I want to tell you, if we get this right, if we don't miss this today, there is a beautiful joy around the table of conversation. It is, it is what God's calling us to. It is the deepest, it really is one of the deepest longings of our heart. And we get to do it. It's just fun. It's joyful. 
I just want to also just remind you of the gospel's beautiful, I mean beautiful, over and over again, affirmation of conversation. There is no question that many people followed Jesus because he preached in groups. There's no question. But there's equally no question that many people followed Jesus because of a conversation. I'll just remind you of a couple. Maybe the biggest revival in the New Testament is after a conversation one-on-one with the Samaritan woman. We oftentimes get the conversation, we preach on the conversation, we forget the most important thing. Samaritans who would have no, nothing to do with Jews and Jesus. I mean, it broke every, it crossed every ethnic line and every gender line. I mean, just everything was wrong with this conversation. It, it, actually, the Samaritan woman says it. Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Strike one, strike two. What are you doing? And Jesus has a conversation. And we preach about all this, and it's a great sermon, but it's, it's incomplete if we don't finish it. She goes back to a city that had ostracized her for her lifestyle. And she says, you're never going to guess what I just heard. And she starts having conversations. And it says in the scripture, many people believed in Jesus because of her conversations. Then many other people who were still a little skeptical came and found Jesus. And he had conversations with them. And we get this impression that most of this Samaritan city turns toward Jesus. And they say something as Samaritans that no Jew ever said in the New Testament. We now know that you are the Savior and Lord of the world. It's nothing less than a revival, y'all. And it started with a conversation. How many of you could quote reasonably John 3.16 from memory? Just raise your hand. It's okay if you can't. Don't lie. How many of you mostly can? Okay, very good. Most of you, I would assume. We're not going to practice today. I'm running out of time. But do you know that maybe the greatest verse that we all know about how much Jesus loves us was first said in a conversation. Jesus and Nicodemus having a conversation one-on-one. And Jesus turns to him and says, you know what? God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There's joy in the conversation. So, not only is the conversation missional and evangelistic, it is a strategy. Gospel conversations is a strategy for bringing people who are far away from God to God. And I'm going to say it is a main strategy in the scriptures. We often don't think about it this way, but we should start, especially in New England. I'm just going to be honest. There may be other parts of the country and world where the big approach works better, but we, the, the data is in. There's not many people listening to us from the big stage. It's going to take some one-on-ones here. And it's going to take some long conversations. And so we're going to do a few things to help us. And please, I'm going to talk about a couple things that are coming up. They are, they are our missions strategy. Can you hear me say that? Can everyone hear me say that? Just shake your head. I know we're getting long. i got about five more minutes, I promise. But I'm going to tell you two missions strategies. If you're wondering what Church of the Apostles is doing for mission, I'm going to tell you two. There's more, but I'm going to tell you two. Yes? We're good? Okay. There's joy in these. I know you have heard me say it a lot, and we have used the word triads. I'm not going to tell you what a triad is. We've done that. I'm not going to tell you where to sign up. Well, I'm going to tell you where to sign up because you should know that, but Jan has done a good job. Three people getting together, and here's here's all we're asking you to do. Three people getting together and having gospel conversations with each other. 
The only way for us to be practiced in having gospel conversations is to have gospel conversations. Uh, there, there is an author of a book, and he wrote this great article in the New York Times, and he said this, about one in eight self-identifying Christians have one, at least one, only one in eight, have at least one gospel conversation once a month. This includes with other Christians. We just, we just don't do it anymore. We just don't do it anymore. We don't know how to talk to people. We don't know how to sit around the table. If I'm being honest, maybe sometimes we spend more time grumbling than we should. And so triads are absolutely about spiritual formation for the saints that are in this room. We want you to deeply understand that you have, a, you have multiple callings on your life right now that Jesus Christ has put on your life and that he expects you to live out in your home and in your workplaces and in your schools and in your neighborhood. You have that. And we want to we have a, what we call a high theology of vocation and calling. And so that's what this is about. We're going to work together through this idea this fall in little groups where we talk about it. And this this week, we're going to form those groups. And so if you have not signed up for one yet, you should. It's out on the greeters table. And, and Jan and I are going to look at them. We're going to form them, and we're going to get them started this week. So you have time, but we need to know by, like, Tuesday morning, okay? We're going to get together, and yes, we're going to talk about the content, but that is not the only strategy for these triads. In fact, maybe it's not the main strategy. The other strategy is absolutely mission. It is easy for me to say, you got to go have gospel conversations. But it is also my responsibility to shape and make sure that you have a place to be shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit on how to have those gospel conversations. And the best way that we've been told and that we know to do that is to actually have them. This goes by just saying how hard our lives are. Our lives can be hard. Then we invite the Holy Spirit to talk to us about how he's going to answer that hard place. That's a gospel conversation. Here's all it is. Here's all it is. A gospel conversation is simply equipping us not only with the content, content, but also with the skill. Okay, that's what we want to do. A gospel conversation is simply a listener and a speaker with both of those roles talking back and forth about how the good news of Jesus Christ has come home to rest in our hearts and answer our deepest questions. You can do that. If you can't, your heart needs to be changed. We're going to give you two minutes to do that, just two. Then we've got to get moving, okay? That's one, triads. Sign up today. It's a missional, it is a missional evangelical strategy for us. By the way, once we're done with triads and you're going to learn through triads, there's little homework assignments. Okay, you did it with two Christians. Now go do it with somebody who's not a Christian. Good luck. Come back and report. Seriously, there's a little homework at the end. You're going to go be hospitable to somebody. Just go offer Christ's hospitality. See what happens. We're going to talk about Bridges International. Just mark your calendar Friday, November 1st. That is a third strategy I'm not going to talk about today. The second strategy I will talk about today is Emmaus Partnership, and especially the way they're expanding their partnership with the Luis Munoz Marin Elementary School. For those of you who don't know, we've had a group of people from Apostles and other churches that have walked in the same neighborhood in Bridgeport for seven years. Seven years. You want to talk about a long conversation. Every Saturday for seven years. And the first few years, guess what happened? A lot of prayer, a lot of picking up a trash, and not a whole lot of conversations. But guess what's happening now? 
I get reports almost every week about amazing gospel conversations that have come out of people going, why are you here every week? Or people who know that answer and then are saying, would you pray for me? I have, can you imagine this? Someone walking up to you and saying, I have a need in my life. Would you pray for me? Great way to start a gospel conversation. Seven years. And they're expanding. There is a school, Luis, elementary school, Luis Munoz Marin. And I'll just tell you my story, and I know it's been a long sermon, but it's okay. It's fine. I'm not anxious about it, and you can stop being anxious about it. I give you peace. Um, last year, Adiel asked me, would you be willing to volunteer 90 minutes a week, one time a week, 90 minutes, in an elementary school classroom, helping kids, first graders, it turned out, being able to see words and say them on sight, be able to pronounce multi-syllable words, and read age-appropriate books. I have been read more books about dogs finding toys than I care to remember. <sighs> you might say, yeah, but you have a teaching background. Easy for you. I have never been in an elementary classroom. I was nerd. Tamara said, first day, she's like, how you feeling? I'm scared. <laughs> I mean, they're this big. I mean, I can <laughs> barely see them. But I went, and I just want to tell you, here's, here's, here's all you have to have. You only have to have, you have to have one thing. If you don't have a servant's heart, this is not for you. Anyone who's ever taught knows this. But if you don't have a servant's heart, this is not for you. I just went and said, look, I, I walked in literally. And by the way, I didn't start with, hey, I, I'm a teacher. That's not a servant's heart. How can I help? You can take this one guy who was having a rough time. And if we can just get him, if we can just get him reading by the end of your time here, that'd be great. That's what I did. I did that for a few weeks, no, several weeks, many weeks. And Mrs. Singer, the Miss Singer, the first grade teacher, said to me one day, after a lot of back and forth about our lives and conversation, just in a little bit, she said, Well, let me ask you, what do you do for a living? This is always a showstopper, Pastor Carl. Like, I mean, everybody stops swearing, the cigarettes go behind, read everything. You usually get an apology for, oh, geez, I said the F word. Ow, you know, like this, everybody's so, ah, you know. But usually the conversation ends. It's a lot of times just ends. People are, you know, freaked out. Just like if you said, yeah, I love Jesus. Ah. Mrs. Singer didn't say that. She said, wow, that's cool. Now, this was a long, like, I'm, I'm giving you, like, this was a whole semester, right? But later on, some other day when I was there, she said, you know, I've been thinking. Would you come back in this classroom next year? Are you free to do that? Are you planning on doing that? Would you do it? And I said, to be honest with you, I wasn't at the time. I'm so tired after little kids, right? And so, but Mrs. Singer asked, Miss Singer asked, and I said, sure, I'd be willing to come back. You know, so I said, I'd be willing to come back, right? And she said, because good, because here's what I'm thinking. And, and, you know, always preface, we're going to have to be careful because, you know, it's a public school, so we're going to have to be careful. But I'm wondering, if you would share a story, and now I'm, I'm quoting now, but I'm wondering, I'm, I'm thinking about this, like, this hour at the beginning of the week, if you come on Monday mornings, that you would share a story about something that's important to you, like kindness, right? Kindness or honesty, and then I kid you not, she used this as the third word, or mercy. Would you share a story? We're going to have to be careful. Would you share a story? And then, if you don't mind, you and I can come up with an activity together that the kids can do after on the topic. Now, listen, I don't know if Mrs. Singer, Miss Singer is still at the school. She, I keep saying Mrs. because she got married over the summer. I don't know if she's still first grade, and I don't know if she remembers the conversation. 
But I want to tell you the joy I had being in the conversation. I don't know what's going to happen this year. I might be in a whole different classroom. I'm going back, and I'm inviting you to come sometime with me. Here's what you need. You need 90 minutes once a week during the day. So this, this is not everybody. Of course it's not. 90 minutes once a week during the day, a servant's heart, and a genuine joy in seeking the lost. What you don't need is an agenda. Bad idea. What you don't need is to commit for the whole year. We're asking for six or seven weeks, and you can get all this through Paul. Uh, Paul Wolf is leading this now. Then you can reassess. This isn't working for me anymore, Brian. I'm out. Fine. You can, ch- you can change. We're asking for six or seven weeks. And joy in good news conversations with six-year-olds, with teachers, with others. So there's two, uh, three, Emmaus, including Luis Munoz Marin, and Triads. These are ways that we are here to begin this gospel conversation. And we always have to be quiet for a minute. And so for our two minutes of silence today, I am simply going to ask you, what is God inviting you to? What is Jesus inviting you to? Maybe, maybe it's to stop grumbling. Maybe it's Maybe it's to one of these things that I've mentioned. Maybe it's to something else. You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time.